Good morning. And happy Mother's Day, too. <clears throat> As we continue our studies in the book of Luke, I have a question for you this morning. Do you want to know more about God? I hope that's why you're here today, to learn a little bit more about him. Well, if you want to know more about God, study the life of Jesus, and that's why we're going through the book of Luke. In John's gospel, in the upper room, Jesus said to Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me, Jesus said, has seen the Father. So we study the life of Christ. We study him so that we can know our God better. We study the word of God to know our God better. But the life of Jesus is special because here we learn what God is really like. If you want to know what God the Father's like, the God who's invisible, we study the life of Christ and he reveals it to us. Last week I referred to uh, A.W. Tozer's book, the knowledge of the holy. I wanted to ha I have another quote from him this morning. In his very opening words, first chapter, here's what he says. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or worship is base as the worshiper enters high or low thoughts about God. So what I think about God affects my future, my destiny, heaven or hell, eternal life and joy or eternal torment and suffering and turmoil. Why must we think rightly about God? Well, that's why Tozer wrote his book. Because we can predict a person's future, spiritual future, by what they, by what they think about God. So, if we're careless about what we think about God, if we're indifferent about God, if we don't care and disregard God, it has a great effect. Thinking about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if we think about him or God wrongly, it leads to turmoil. What did you experience this week? <laughs> what have you read in the news? We need to write, think rightly about God and turn back to him. So Luke's intent in, in, in his gospel is to lead us to Jesus so that we know him better. And he clusters, and we've been in chapter 8 last week and this week, he clusters four miracles together so we know Jesus better. The disciples and the crowds are being confronted with the truth about who Jesus is. They're being constantly reminded. So again, there's this terrifying storm. Remember, we talked about that last week, and Jesus spoke a word and it was calmed. It's a clear picture that Jesus is God Almighty in the flesh. There was a demon-possessed man. He was trapped in Satan's dark kingdom. He was lost. He had no hope. He was separated from God and God's kingdom. But he was freed from it by Jesus' healing. And now, instead of being a messenger of fear, a person who's in, in presence you won't want to be in, he is now a messenger of God's good news. So today, we're going to meet this isolated woman, and we're going to meet a desperate father whose daughter was dying, and their desperate situation, situations drive them to Jesus. It increases their faith. Their faith is blessed. 
have a question for us as we get into it today. Are you being transformed by your faith in Jesus? Are you being changed or is it, is it real and maturing or is it fake or superficial? But understand this today. God wants you to be in his kingdom. God wants you to know who he is so that you can enjoy him now and forever. To become part of heaven's citizenship, we just need to know and believe and trust in Jesus. So let's, let's look at the passage together now. Uh, a timid faith is uncovered and reinforced. And, and Dave read uh, the first 10 verses. I wanted to jump back just a little bit. Jesus had just gone across the Sea of Galilee. He healed a demon-possessed man. And there we see a crowd of people came and gathered and saw the, the demon-possessed man clothed in his right mind. And what did they immediately do? They asked Jesus to leave. Go away. We don't want you here. We don't understand you. We're afraid of your power. They didn't understand who Jesus was, so they sent him away. And in verse 40 now we read, now when Jesus returned, the crowds welcomed him. They were anticipating him. They were looking for him to come back across, and here he was. They were anxious. Some of them were probably true seekers. Some of them were just curious seekers. It's interesting, isn't it? One crowd sent him away. One crowd was saying, come on, we want to see you. Of all those people on one side of the Sea of Galilee, one man wanted to stay with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away on a mission. <laughs> and we've been sent on a mission, too, if we've been transferred from death to life. So a crowd of people welcomes Jesus, but there's only two people who we see who are reaching out to him in faith, and they're delivered, and their faith matures. It grows in its trust and knowledge of who Jesus is. And by the way, what's the common denominator between this woman and Jairus? Twelve years. Twelve years of misery for the woman. Twelve years of joy of seeing a daughter grow up. But that was, seemed like it was all going to change. Hopes and dreams for a daughter were about to end. So there's a desperate public plea for help. Twelve long years of a medical issue that separated her, isolated her, made her miserable. But it was a callus that drove her to come up with a scheme to just secretly touch Jesus to be healed. So together their lives are transformed in an instant. We don't know if they knew each other. But now they know Jesus together. So here we are this morning together. And we all have different issues going on in our lives, don't we? Some of them we know what's going on in each other's lives, and some of them are so personal and quiet, nobody knows what's going on in our hearts and minds right now. Maybe not even the person sitting next to you. But here we are. And maybe we're aware, maybe we're not aware of each other's challenges. But like this woman and like Jairus, this desperate father, our lives are intersecting here right now in front of Jesus because his word is speaking to us. 
And Jesus wants to transform me this morning. He wants to transform us together this morning. He wants us just to know a little bit more about his might and his power. Jesus shepherds us as a corporate body. Jesus shepherds us as individuals. He cares about each one of us. And you know what's great about Jesus? He can multitask. It's not a problem for him to take care of you and to take care of me, to take care of you back there and you over here. And he knows your problems and he wants to help you walk through them. So here's this woman and a man coming to Jesus. And the woman believes that reaching out to Jesus is going to help her. A frustrating 12-year medical condition. She spent all her money to be cured and nothing was successful. So she's isolated. If you look back in Leviticus chapter 15, and I want you to know the law of God was burdensome. It was holy, though. It was set apart. God set up the law to remind us of how holy and set apart he is, how sinful we are and separated from him. And it was a way of reminding us of our need to depend on God. But listen to what Leviticus chapter 15 says. And this is what this woman we meet in Luke chapter 8 is going through. In verse 25 of Luke, uh, of Leviticus, excuse me, chapter 15, verse 25, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as a bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until evening. So here was this woman who had these bleeding issues, not for a few days, but for 12 years. So she was socially isolated from the religious community. She couldn't go anywhere without worrying about if she would make somebody else unclean. And we know that if anyone else was a part of her, touched where she had been, they would become ceremonially unclean and have the inconvenience of having to set aside their plans for the day to go through the ceremony of, be, of cleansing themselves. So it's really easy to imagine her circle of friends just shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. Maybe it was non-existent. So she was desperate for a cure. We could understand that. So she came up with a plan without anyone maybe seeing her or knowing about her uncleanness, the ceremonial, ceremonial uncleanness. She was going to come up and touch Jesus. She was embarrassed about it. She was fearful of being ostracized, probably, if she was found out in the crowd. She knew Jesus' reputation, Mark tells us in his gospel, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. If I just touch his clothes. Did she believe, was she superstitious, or did she believe in magical powers? I want you to know, no. She believed Jesus could heal her. And in Acts chapter 5, there's a really interesting little comment. It says people, when the disciples were doing great miracles 
uh, after the day of Pentecost, many people were being healed, and it said people lined the streets just hoping that Peter's shadow would touch them. They were hoping that his shadow would touch them. Did Peter's shadow heal people? Well, we don't, it doesn't say yes or no. But we do know people knew that if they were near Peter and the other apostles, that they were near God's power. But it wasn't the shadow that healed. It wasn't the clothes of Jesus that healed. It was Jesus, God, the Son, who healed, or his power working through Peter and the other apostles who healed. So why did Jesus allow a woman to touch him to be healed? Because it says in Isaiah, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. So here was a woman's little bit of faith. And he wanted to encourage it and grow it because that's a picture of our God. She didn't want to bother Jesus. Maybe she was worried that Jesus wouldn't want to bother with her because of her uncleanness. She didn't want to take the chance in the public humiliation, so she reached out and she touched Jesus, and in an instant, it says, that moment, she knew she was healed. Immediately, it says in verse 44, her discharge of blood ceased. Jesus says something really interesting, doesn't he? And Jesus said, who is it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounding you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that the power has gone out from me. That's a curious statement. Does Jesus lose power like a battery? <laughs> Does he need to get recharged like your cell phone? No. But he felt the Spirit of God flowing through him. Jesus, God, never loses power. We lose power. We live under the law, the second law of thermodynamics. Do you know what that is? <laughs> it's just things wear out. The sun is burning out. It's not evolving up. <laughs> it's going down. Our bodies are frail. They're wearing out. Batteries wear out. Automobiles wear out. Mechanical things wear out. God doesn't wear out. And notice, too, not everyone who was touching Jesus, if they had an issue, God healed. But this woman was coming with a little bit of faith, a shy faith, a timid faith, a secret faith. But she touched him because that touch was pleading. And Jesus knew it for help. And she found it. So what does Jesus do? He calls her out. He wasn't mad at her. <laughs> she was all afraid. And when the woman, verse 47, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Jesus wanted her to know that it wasn't the touch, but it was her faith in Jesus that he could heal, that did the deed. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. 
Her light was no longer hidden under the bushel basket. She was trying to do it secretly, but Jesus wanted to make sure that she knew it was her faith and belief that made the difference, that her reaching out and touching him, coming to him, was what changed, that he was the one who saved. It was her faith. And he fanned that little bit of faith, that secret faith, into flame so other people could see it. Timid faith was now stronger. The joy for deliverance and the love and the confidence in God's care for her grew in that amazing moment. So how is your faith in Jesus today? We humans are so frail. Our, our, our faith ebbs and flows. It's like the, the tide, right? Up and down. Strong today, weak tomorrow. And Jesus says, mustard seed faith is powerful. How can that be? That mustard seeds, a small little seed, that, that little bit of faith can be so powerful. It's not how much, but who your faith is in. You ever ice skate on a pond? Some of you, yes, some of you know. You could have a lot of faith in thin ice. You could say, I'm going to go. And you go running. And you jump, and your skates hit it, and what happens? You're in. You're in the water. You're in trouble. Po power of positive thinking. <laughs> no matter how much you think, the ice will hold me. The ice will hold me. It's not going to hold you if it's only that thick. Thick ice. Take a lead pipe, and you beat on the ice on a pond. If it's about that thick, you're good. If you can't bust that ice up with the lead pipe pounding it, you're good. You can ice skate. I don't know if it's going to hold me. First the toe, then the foot, then you ease out. Little faith, but your faith was in strong, thick ice. Jesus is thick ice. Jesus is a rock. Death cannot resist Jesus' powerful grace. It rescues us when we trust in him. He died in our place for our sins. Trust in him. This woman's faith and those around her saw because Jesus kind of made her publicly testify her problem. And now, because he publicly did that, her faith grew. She was declared clean. She was in good shape publicly with Christ and the religious community who believed. Grow your trust in the Lord. Seek God's, Jesus' help, God's help for your life issues. Our uncleanness, our evil deeds that separate us from God are remedied by Jesus himself. He died for us. Believe he's the Christ. Grow in your trust. Grow in your trust in Jesus. Review God's faithfulness. Read the scriptures. Read the stories of other believers in the Bible. Read the stories. Hear the stories of your friends that you live with here at Grace Chapel and know and talk about how God has delivered you and walked with you through life. Apply what you know about Jesus in your life to your situation, the situations that maybe you're going through today. Dare to obey God's truth. Dare to believe him. 
You know, there's a time to shout it out, and there's a time to be cautious. It's kind of interesting. In this chapter, in this setting, in, the, in these stories, we're going to see that Peter, or excuse me, Jesus publicly declared what he had done, and then he privately healed Jairus' daughter. Paul and Timothy, in his second letter to Timothy, was encouraging his faith. I remind you of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. So, Timothy, don't be timid. Shout it out. There's a time to do that. In this very moment, Jesus wanted this miracle to be public. It's kind of interesting. Luke starts out with Jairus, and then there's this pause, right? Because there's this miracle he does for the woman. Our focus now is on Jairus, and he's desperate. He's probably more desperate than this woman was for her situation, or we can imagine he thinks it's more desperate. There's absolutely nothing recorded here. But can you imagine what it would have been like to be Jairus? Your daughter's dying, and this woman comes up and touches Jesus, and the parade just stops. It's like, it doesn't tell us what Jesus or what Jairus is thinking, but I can imagine what he's thinking, <laughs> what I would have been thinking. You know, this is great. I'm really happy for, this, happy for this lady, but my daughter is dying. Couldn't that have waited till tomorrow? She's been, this has been going on for 12 years. Fine. What, what's one more day? My daughter is dying. So timid faith is emboldened, this woman, the secret touch. And now this anxious faith, this anxious belief is calmed and reassured. So we focus now on on, on Cyrus, or on Jairus. Boy, I'm really twisting up my names today, sorry. The desperate public plea. I don't know how much Jairus knew about Jesus, but he knew enough to come to him. He had heard or seen enough to go to Jesus now. He was desperate. It says he was a leader in the synagogue. He was a ruler of the synagogue, and I don't know if there was any pressure from the synagogue, from this synagogue, not to associate with Jesus. But Jesus didn't have a good reputation among many of the synagogue leaders and religious leaders of that time. I mean, his life and ministry have been going on long enough now. Resistance is growing and growing against Jesus. So I don't know if there was pressure against Jairus not to go to Jesus, but at this moment in time, all he, he was so desperate, he didn't care. He came to Jesus, and he came humbly. He fell on his knees, and he pleaded publicly, Jesus, my daughter's dying. And Jesus responds positively, Jesus went, it tells us. 
Whenever your faith is strong, whenever your faith is weak, how is it today? Just remember this. It's God's way. When we come to him, little faith, a little bit bigger faith, he's ready to come to help. He's a good shepherd. He hears you. He cares. He's mighty to save. He came to help us. He's pleased to do it when we seek him and his mercy. Remember what he did for Adam and Eve when they sinned. He came seeking them. That's God's way. It's always God's way. Dwell on that truth when your life situations put you in a situation when it's hard to trust God, when you're desperate and you don't know what to do, when you can't do anything to change the situation when it's out of your control. Just remember that Jesus is never deaf. He's never indifferent. He's never uncaring. He's God. He's not like us. So here's this frustrating interruption. Relief. Jesus is coming. Maybe my daughter will live and then delay. Anxiety rises, fear, stress levels rise, waiting. It's like waiting for the ambulance to arrive. If you've ever been in an emergency and you call the ambulance and it's like taken forever. It's that kind of a situation. You're desperate. And then there's the dreaded news. Look at verse 49. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. Oh, if you just hadn't stopped. She was older. My daughter's young. Too low a view of Jesus. They just thought he was a man or a prophet. Or maybe he's just like one of our modern-day doctors. You know, they can only do so much healing, and then death, they can't reverse it. But Jesus can. Look at verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, or just believe, and she will be well. Hear what Jesus is saying. Do not fear. Because that's exactly what Jairus was feeling. <laughs> fear, anxiety. Only believe. Just believe and she will be well. <laughs> Boy, that's easy to say. Just believe. It's all going to be fine. Luke writes this. In the Greek, it's in the aorist tense, which in this case is kind of like a, a one-time event. So what Jesus is saying here, make an act of faith. Just one act of faith. Just believe. Trust me in this moment. It's kind of interesting. Mark wrote it in his gospel, the same story, but he wrote it in the present tense. And that kind of indicates this. Like, keep on believing. You trusted me when you came to me enough to bow down, you know, to fall on your knees and say, come help me. So just keep on trusting me. That's Jesus speaking. What are the crowds speaking? Well, we didn't read those passages, those verses, so let's read it. 
And when he had come to the house, verse 51, that is Jesus, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So Jesus is speaking, just believe. And what are the crowds, the friends sailing? Well, they're wailing. Why are they wailing? Because death is won again. Why are they laughing at Jesus? <laughs> because who can bring the dead back to life? Just for the record, ancient people weren't gullible or foolish. They knew death when they were in its presence. They weren't fooled by what, it, what had happened to this little girl. I have in my notes, hear Jairus speak, but there's no record of Jairus saying anything. But you know, he did speak loudly by doing what? By believing Jesus. By, by his actions, he showed that he believed in that moment. He heard the wailing, he heard the mocking laughter, he heard the words, she is not dead but sleeping, but what was going on in his mind? I, maybe someday we'll be able to find out. And, and you know, Jesus has claimed she's not dead, she's just sleeping. That's a ludicrous statement. So what is Jesus doing? He's just trying to build up Jairus' faith. He's trying to show his disciples. He's testing their faith. He's building up knowledge about who he is and his strength and his power, that he's a God and a Savior. And Jairus' faith is growing. He's, he's showing his, his, he's taking Jesus at his word. Just believe. And he's seeing, his eyes are seeing all this stuff. His eyes of, the eyes of faith are overcoming human logic. Now, there's another delay in the future in Jesus' ministry when his power is revealed, and you can read about that in John 11. It's even more spectacular because Lazarus was dead for not just a little bit, but for four days, and Jesus raised him from the dead. I just want to remind you from John's Gospel, chapter 14, Jesus' words of comfort to you this morning. In John chapter 14, familiar words, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Hear Jesus speaking. Trust me. It'll be okay. And we're going to see death conquered finally and fully when Jesus returns. So Jairus believed. And in those moments when the news was that his daughter was dead, his faith overcome what he saw. So we compare these two miracles. The woman's timid faith is private. She tried to touch Jesus just in secret, and, and Jesus makes it public. Jairus comes publicly 
falls on his knees and says, help me, Jesus. And Jesus makes the circle small, makes it a private. He goes into the closet. Why would he do that? Only a small circle of believers saw this amazing miracle. This amazing miracle. Because Jesus was not seeking fame and fortune. Because Jesus was on a mission to rescue sinners, to die in their place, to transform them into holy people. That was his mission. So he was avoiding the crowds and the unnecessary distractions. I kind of think Jesus was protecting the girl. Can you imagine if a miracle like this happened today? People would want to be taking selfies with the girl who was dead and is now alive. They'd be recording it on their phones. Jesus didn't want any of those distractions. He came to save. He wanted people who truly were believing in him, not the curious, not those looking for a sideshow, something spectacular, but those who were truly believed to know who he was and to grow. We know God better by knowing Jesus. So Jairus and his wife and the three disciples learned something in this mighty miracle. The crowds got to see an amazing miracle, and we learned that Jesus came seeking the lost. He came to serve, not to be served. He came not to be famous, but to do his Father's will at great cost so that we could be delivered. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus asked, who is, or the disciples asked, who is this? We get our answer. Jesus is God and Savior. We know who Jesus is through these four miracles. He calmed the storm. Nature obeys his voice. A legion of demons are cast out. Satan and his unholy angels, none of them are a match for Jesus. A 12-year-old medical issue is no match for Jesus if it is his will to heal. Death holds no power over Jesus or those who love Jesus. What else do we learn? We learn that Jesus knows the right time. What we think God has to do right now, heal my daughter, she's dying. Jesus says, it can wait. A 12-year-old issue that could wait another day. Jesus says, no, now's the right time for it to be fixed and healed so that she and and the crowds know the power of God. Who is Jesus? I would just ask you in this simple message today, in this maybe a familiar story to many of us, what are you going to take away today to help you this week with what you've learned about Jesus in Luke chapter 8? Should our prayer requests be done with a stronger faith, asking Jesus to work in amazing ways beyond what we normally ask? What would move me or you to pray more boldly in our request to God? What would cause us to plead more passionately for our troublesome situations or others' troublesome situations? In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why would Jesus suffer? 
because of the joy set before him, because he knew what he, would, what he was accomplishing in the cross and what he saw, what it would deliver, what it would do for you and for me. How it could change people in the world. He knew that it was going to transform sinners into saints, unholy children to holy children. So that's why he did it. And when we understand what Jesus has done for us, I love Paul's prayer. We will change. He prayed that we would know what God has done for us. It'll change how we pray and how we live. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him so that we know our God, you see. And having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, the eyes of our faith enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. Jesus endured because he knew what he was going to accomplish. It was a joyful thing. And when we understand what God has done for us through Christ, when we understand our hearts are enlightened about what the future holds for us, it'll motivate us to live for Christ, to follow Christ, to be daring to ask for bold things because we understand the joy that is set before us through Christ. There's no God like our God. Only believe and experience Jesus' mighty salvation and new life. They reveal his tender mercies. They show us he can deliver us when we come to him, and he will bring us into his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word today. It's so clear and open of who you are. Lord God, I ask you to help us to dare to reach out and touch you in faith, to believe that you will deliver. You can save us, and you will if we ask. Help us to believe your word today. Help us for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.